podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us for our Thursday episode. Very excited for this one. Two fantastic guests. Cannot be more excited for who we have today. NFL agent Luke McMurtry going to join us. We're going to talk about what it's been like prepping guys for the NFL draft this year during COVID. It was like trying to land new players as an agent during covid and I got four Big 12 players. I'm curious to hear uh, his perspective on where we expect to see them taken in the NFL draft. We've got an OSU, a Texas, a Texas Tech, and an Iowa State. We'll talk about that with him a little bit later. Also joining me today, Ryan Campbell, the man behind Fifth Factor Plots. I'm not sure if I've talked about that Twitter account. It's one of my new favorite Twitter accounts. It is some beautiful plot graphs, shooting trends in college basketball. Really, really fun interview. He is fantastic. It's a Twitter account you're going to want to follow. Uh, if you don't follow us on Twitter, you should because we're going to tweet out some of the graphs that we will have talked about in that interview. If you want to check those out and follow along, uh, follow us at, on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Twitter is not the only place you will find us on social media. Of course, we are on Instagram at 1012pod. Uh, we should uh, have a new post up either by now or later today, depending upon when you are listening to this podcast. I'll have our, our most recent updated Big 12 Men's Hoops Power Rankings. Uh, obviously, uh, as we're putting this together, Oklahoma State and TCU are in a close one right now, so I'm not, I don't want to put anything out until we know how this game is going to go. Uh, some news from around the conference. Kansas has a new offensive coordinator. Les Miles has brought on veteran offensive coordinator, veteran uh, correct. Uh, Mike DeBoard, who spent the last season as an offensive analyst at Michigan. For that, he was the offensive coordinator of the San Diego Fleet, which was, I believe, the AAF. Guy's been around for a long time. Has been the OC at Indiana, Tennessee, Michigan, Michigan twice. Was the head coach at Central Michigan from 2000-2003. Andy Mitz isn't super pumped about this. He and I uh, chatted about it. We'll see what happens. Uh, we will not have an episode on Monday with which to talk about that. We'll see. I look if you're if you're Kansas, it's not an inspiring hire at all. Not even a little. I'm sorry. It's not fair to judge a hire before they've had a chance to actually do their job. So we'll see what happens. I'm just not holding my breath that this isn't going to really make a lot of difference for Kansas. What is making a little bit of difference, if you want some positive news for Kansas football right now, and we're talking Kansas football again, what can I say? I like you guys. I really do. Uh, Quadarius Davis, four-star wide receiver out of Dallas, Texas, Skyline in Dallas, Texas, signed as part of the Kansas 2021 class. Highest rated player, I believe, since 24-7 started tracking and rating players for Kansas football huge signing this is what they brought him in for okay this is what they brought him in for Kansas got the top player in the state of Kansas for this class as well this 2021 class Devin Neal running back out of Lawrence kept him in state it's a solid class it is it's six in the big 12 it's 52nd nationally it's not bad 
That's what you want to see. You want to see this continue to improve on the recruiting trail. That's what Les Miles has brought him to do, and it's it's getting better. So that's a positive for Kansas football. All right, that's enough Kansas football talk. Like I mentioned, we've got two great guests. Before we get to them, one thing. If you didn't hear episode on Monday, then you missed one of the best pieces of news that we could possibly have here on the show, and that's Homefield Apparel is back as an official sponsor of the 1012 podcast. Homefield Apparel, the most comfortable vintage college clothing apparel company around. They have one of the best personalities on Twitter. They've got more than 100 schools with great, great gear, including Iowa State and Baylor. This is the time of year to buy yourself some Baylor shirt. Hop on that Baylor bandwagon because this team is good. And can we just all be honest? Like, really? Let's let's just be honest. If we don't get Baylor Gonzaga as the national championship game, I think it's what we all deserve. I understand Big 12 fans. We don't all like Baylor. This Baylor team is ridiculous, and we need Baylor Gonzaga. Like, we all deserve that. That's the game we all deserve. So, home field apparel right now. Make your first order. Use the promo code 1012. Get 20% off. 20% off your first order at home field apparel. So, if you haven't bought anything, maybe you've been waiting, hoping, wishing, and wanting, it's basketball season. You want Baylor. Maybe you also uh, maybe you also like Memphis. I got some really cool Memphis stuff. Tulane, Toledo, Indiana State, Chicago State, Wabash. I believe my uh, I believe my grandmother was an Indiana State grad. One of her multiple degrees. If I'm correct there, I think I had to go buy an Indiana State shirt. I think that's the rule. So homefieldapparel.com. Go find some of the best, most comfortable, most awesome college sports apparel. There is 20% off your first order with the promo code 1012. Go check them out. Go support them. Follow them on Twitter. You will not regret it. It's one of the best personalities on Twitter. Other great personalities on Twitter, Fifth Factor Plots, who we're talking to today. Also, Luke McMurtry, NFL agent. Two great interviews. Let's get to them. 10, 12, faithful. What is up? It is Ryan Chapman, Christine Butterfield. We are the Sideline Morning Podcast. And Christine, we have a huge announcement. Yes. We are now transitioning into more national news which is super exciting but don't worry guys still gonna be dunking on ryan on the daily look some things never change but season two of sideline morning is coming to you january 26th you can find it anywhere you get your podcast apple Podcasts, spotify wherever we are super excited to be a part of the highball network and christine just can't wait to get back out there on january 26th back and better than ever baby the Super Bowl is this Sunday. After that, it's all about free agency and it's all about prepping for the draft. So it's still COVID year. Combine's going to be weird. It's been a weird year for the NFL. So I want to talk a little combine, a little draft prep, a little Big 12 guys to keep an eye on as we get ready to go into the draft. So my good friend, Luke McMurtry, joining us today, NFL agent. Luke, welcome to the uh, to the 10-12, man. No, I appreciate you, man. Always glad to have. Always glad to be on. I had to. I had to remember. So you, I've had you on the OSU show a couple of times because you're a, an Oklahoma State alum, which is how we kind of got hooked up. But I, I want to talk a little, not just OSU. So I thought, let's bring him on the, on the Big Twelve <laughs> show. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, and and see how this goes. I'm really excited. So I, I want to start straight off the bat. You know, players are getting ready for the combine. You're getting ready for the draft this year. COVID is still hot and heavy it's still a big issue nationwide i know the vaccines are getting rolled out but it's going to be a process through the rest of the year so what is it like right now for players who have decided to leave or seniors going to the draft what is it like for them right now trying to prepare for the draft that's that's unusual compared to a normal year absolutely that was a good question 
if you would have asked me that two or three weeks ago, I would say it's a lot worse than it is now. Um, we just got the news about two weeks ago, a week and a half, that there will not be an NFL scouting combine. Um, that's the biggest event for the pre-draft process. Um, it's dated back. I couldn't even tell you how long, as long as I've been alive and probably three or four more times. Um, so without that NFL scouting combine, that's what everyone trains for. Everyone goes to these big training facilities. These agents pay all this money. Um, they go train for eight weeks. And essentially that eight weeks is working on a couple of drills, your vert, your broad, your 40, um, sometimes your bench press here and there and position drills. Um, and so without that, you typically train from the first week of January um, to the last week of February for the combine. Um, now we don't have a scouting combine. They say they're going to fly some guys to Indianapolis sometime in April um, just to do medicals. Um, but other than that, there's no actual NFL scouting combine. So not everyone is getting ready for pro days. Um, most people know a little about pro days. Pro days are held at your college. Um, scouts come and they watch all the players, let's say at OU in Norman or in Still at Stillwater um, at Oklahoma State. Um, so now all the guys are getting prepped for that. Well, everyone's pro day is different. Um, we've got one guy, his pro day is the second week of March. Well, some guys pro days until the first week of April. And so that really throws a wrench into things because a lot of these guys are on the same programming. They're training with each other. They're training against each other, that competitiveness. Um, well, now we kind of took the big, the big day, the big birthday party out of it all. Um, so now guys are all on their own schedules. Um, and so some training facilities have actually tried to be like, hey, well, we're going to hold our own scouting combine because we're so big and we're so bad. Everyone wants to watch us. Um, but the NFL has put out a memo saying, like, you guys can do whatever you guys want to do, but it's all going to be over video. Um, we are not allowing our scouts to travel to any of these unsanctioned NCAA events. Um, they will only possibly be at pro days, depending on the state laws where the teams are coming from and the state laws or where the actual colleges are. Um, so it's really funky right now, um, for lack of better terms. Um, but as of now, as of about a week and a half ago, we do have a date on most of those guys. Um, I say we have a date on most. Some schools haven't even picked pro day dates yet. Um, so it's a little funky. Um, but now that we know there won't be an NFL combine, um, now we're looking forward to those pro day dates. Um, some guys are, it's kind of messing up with food and with diet and it's kind of throwing a wrench into things, but we're okay now. We've got an end date. Um, we've got a goal. And so that's helping things out a lot. You know, you, you've got a, you've got a few guys under your belt that, that you take care of. One of them, can I drop names here? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So one of them being Edo Smith for the, uh, for the, uh, Atlanta Falcons. I almost said Ravens. Sorry. It's another bird mascot. Um, Kind of talk to me about what was this NFL season like from the agent perspective, watching your guys deal with this season. Mm-hmm. Weird year. I mean, obviously, we saw a lot. It was, you know, for rookie running backs, it was such a, a late bloom in the year because there's no real preseason, no camps, nothing mm-hmm. to really get themselves prepared. But from, from your perspective, like what were some of the, the things that were really the most frustrating for, for your guys this year in the NFL? Yeah. Um, off of that question, the thing that was the most frustrating that stands out to me and most agents um, was tryouts. Um, and I'm going to add on tryouts with no preseason. Um, so those undrafted players, the players that um, weren't on teams all summer, typically throughout the season, every team will hold tryouts where they need, you know, one wide receiver. Well, they'll bring in 15 and they'll bring in two or three quarterbacks to throw them balls. Um, and so even if your wide receiver maybe isn't the best wide receiver at that tryout, He's still getting eyes on him. He's still getting to run routes. He's still getting to catch those balls. Well, with COVID, if you wanted to try out a player, that player has to now go in quarantine for six. It changed all throughout the season. It started with three days, ended up at seven days. So at the end, of, mid to the end of the season, these players would have to go quarantine to, for six or seven days, take and pass three COVID tests before they were even allowed to try out. 
Well, when, yes, yeah, so when they're quarantining, they're quarantining in a hotel room. They're not allowed to work out at the hotel gym because they're quarantining. All their food's getting delivered to them. So, you know, what if they don't like some certain types of food? I'm not saying these guys are picky, but everything, they had to sit in a hotel room, yeah, six or seven days. These caught very young guys, um, their food gets delivered to them and they're not allowed out of their hotel room um, for six or seven days. Then they go do this tryout. I had one guy do a tryout and I'm like, man, he, he's in pretty good shape, but he's not in great shape. I'm like, yeah, dude, let's look at the food you've been giving him for the past seven days and you haven't let him work out for seven days. Some of the guys would sneak out of the hotel and just run laps around the hotel just so they could do something. Um, but that was by far and away the most frustrating thing because it was very difficult to get guys those tryout opportunities because so much work had to be done. I mean, for example, the Colts. I had one player go try out for the Colts who actually luckily signed and made the team. Um, for three weeks, they brought in two players total to try out. In a typical NFL season, one team will bring in 45, anywhere from 20 to 45 players in a two to three week span. Um, so that was very, very frustrating. Um, then as you saw and as everyone saw this year, there were so many injuries, um, so many star players with knee injuries, with shoulders, with hammies, with, glute, with glutes, with everything. So that was very frustrating. Luckily, not one of our client got injured this year. Um, and I say not got injured, like didn't miss a game, um, didn't miss a week of practice. So we, we were very, very fortunate with that. Um, and some of our players were undrafted guys. Um, so I have one guy, Michael Jaquette. He was an undrafted corner out of Louisiana Lafayette. Um, he went undrafted. He was on the Eagles practice squad. Well, luckily for Michael, not, you know, no ill will toward anyone else. Luckily for Mike, um, there were injuries at his position. So he was thrusted into the starting lineup very, very quickly. Um, not only did he play well, he thrived in that starting lineup. Um, his first game was the first game they played against the Cowboys um, during season one. So it was week six. Um, played very, very well. Wouldn't have gotten that opportunity if it probably weren't for COVID and these injuries that were happening because of it. Um, and so he really got an opportunity because of that. So it was awesome for him. But it sucked for a lot of other guys, you know, um, with this whole offseason training facilities being closed. Guys just weren't ready physically or the contact tracing or people actually getting COVID and them having to be out for so long. So it really messed a lot of stuff up um, from that aspect. Um, and then from an agent perspective as well, going to these guys' games, that's my favorite thing. Me being a younger agent, um, that's one thing that I can do that a lot of agents can't um, and just have that relationship with these guys. So I would love going to their games. For example, Ito played against Ito Smith, running back for the Falcons, played against the Cowboys very early on in the season. I have a safety for the Cowboys, Stephen Parker. Ito Smith, Stephen playing against each other. Like typically I'd be on the field. That'd be an awesome experience for me. Two of my guys playing against each other would be really cool. No, they didn't allow agents or anyone extra on the field. Um, and you couldn't even actually see your guys after the game. So typically at an away game, I got a ticket from Ito Smith. I'm his agent. You sit in the family section, blah, blah, blah. After the game, you go to a kind of a family entrance area and you get to see the players after. It's only 10, 15 minutes before they get onto the bus, but you still get that 10 or 15 minutes in there. Um, when Ito came to Dallas, 30 minutes away from my house, I didn't even get to see him. Um, and so that was really kind of a bummer. Um, kind of really missed out taking my guys to dinner after the games, going out with them a little bit, doing that kind of thing. Um, really building that relationship and even kind of meeting some of their teammates because um, that's part of the business. Um, and really kind of missed out on that due to COVID and due to the restrictions. Um, so while I do understand them, um, it did kind of throw a wrench into our season. Yeah. Yeah. What's, you know, as an agent, what has, what has evaluating players for, for, for this year been like, you know, obviously you're, you're getting your next crop of, of, of talent of, of guys who are going to, you know, you're going to represent preparing them for this upcoming draft. What was it like and how was it different trying to, to build those relationships with the college players like this year? Um, 
building the relationship with the guys wasn't a whole lot different. What was different was the timeline of building those relationships. Because as you know, some um, conferences didn't even have any games this season. Um, the MAC, for example, started halfway through the season, only played five or six games. Um, the Big Ten, as you saw, started late, played five or six games compared to the SEC over here who played 12 or 13. Um, so that was real funky, you know, um, just because our entire year is kind of built around recruiting and football season. Um, and so you had agents signing some kids in June and July when some agents were just now kind of starting recruiting in June and July. Those guys who were just starting to recruit, they probably weren't going to get those guys anyway because it's a little late. Um, but the whole timeline was messed up. And so when it comes to making these relationships with guys, what to talk about, blah, 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 it just really, really threw a wrench in things. Um, like I thought I was going to sign. There's a Mac player I did think I was going to sign if they didn't have a season. Um, got down to his final two, final three agents. He let me know, hey, these are the other two, other one I'm really talking to and considering. Well, then all of a sudden the next day, hey, the Mac's back open. We're having a season. Um, so that was like, well, I was planning to go see him next week. So let's cancel that trip. Um, and then they had a season still tried to help um, still tried to hold that relationship going through that didn't end up getting the guy um, but the timeline really got messed up um, from a scouting perspective we get from agents we get a lot of our information and a lot of prospects from the scouts um, so NFL scouts whole entire year was messed up it was all so much different from them um, but from that perspective I was still being able to talk to those guys a lot they were studying film because all they did was sit at home this year they weren't really traveling to as many games um, and so still really, really relied on those guys, especially for the guys who didn't have seasons or the guys who opted out. You kind of just had to go off of their junior year film, um, kind of just cross your fingers and go with that. All right. So I'm going to throw some, some big 12 guys at you. And I, I want kind of your judgment on where you see them going in the draft this year, just from a, from an age perspective, you know, we get drafting analysts on here all the time and, and, and they do a good job, but I'm, it's a very different perspective. So I'm really curious what you think. Um, let's start with a guy who uh, who came back for the year. It was a little bit surprising uh, that he did so, uh, and, and didn't have quite the season he'd had his 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 previous year due to injury and a few other things. Uh, Oklahoma State running back Chuba Hubbard was this a th- situation you think where coming back hurt his stock? Where do you kind of project him for this year? Yeah, no, it absolutely hurt his stock. Um, I can say that now because hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, it's a lot easier to say hurt his stock after he already made that decision. Um, when he did make the decision to come back, I was very against it because um, I think you strike while the iron's hot. Um, I think last year he would have been a late second, probably third round pick um, just because of the year he had. I know that's later than some people think, but that's what I was hearing. Um, this year, man, um, a lot later, and hopefully not too many Oklahoma State fans who are going to get mad at me or listening, um, but I think he probably goes fourth round. Um, I can't see he won't go past the fifth. There's absolutely no chance. Um, but I think he's probably a late third, early fourth round guy. Um, and just in that difference, that's a couple million dollar difference from going late seconds, possibly earlier fourth. Um, so that was tough on him. Um, the kind of scouts, scouts kind of look on him was, you know, there's some off the field stuff with the OAN thing with Gundy. Um, with just, there was some stuff that kind of popped up that brought attention to him. Was it good attention? Was it bad attention? It was neither, but it did bring attention to him. Um, and so that attention brought to him, plus not having as good of a season, um, absolutely did not help his stock. Um, I would guess from what I've heard, he's probably a late third, early fourth guy. Um, but he's a guy I do think will have success in the NFL. I think he does need a certain scheme. Um, a lot of his runs is, are the, the O-line's a little open. Um, and it's very hard to get the O-line and get the D-line spread that wide in the NFL. It doesn't really happen. Um, but I do think he's going to have success. But I do think he's going to go later than some poke fans are thinking, probably late third, early fourth. 
Okay. How about, how about a guy that uh, people have a lot of different opinions on? I think he was a solid college quarterback. Um, I, I think when the Heisman talk came up, I was a little bit hesitant to join into that conversation. And I'm not sure how I feel about him as an NFL guy. But uh, Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger, what, what do you think is a realistic expectation for him on draft day? Man, I didn't talk to a whole lot of scouts about him, to be quite honest. I did on the Chuba one. Um, but I did it on Sam. Um, I think Sam is a damn good football player. Um, I don't necessarily think he's a quarterback, but I just think he's a great football player. Um, now I did hear, um, people who've seen him working with his quarterback coach that his release is a little bit quicker. Um, his elbow is getting a little bit higher when it threw his throwing motion. And it does look like it's been tinkered with a little bit, um, from a quarterback specialist and not just him running around kind of being a Tim Tebow football player. Um, but him actually looking at the position and looking at the mechanics of that. Um, so I heard that has already been improved a little bit over the past couple months. Uh, but man, that's a wild card. Um, I think at absolute earliest, I think he, some team could be a little crazy and go for him at the end of the fourth, almost like a Dak Prescott type. Um, that's where he was during draft time, not comparing him to Dak now. Um, uh, I think anywhere from four to six, man, I wouldn't take him anywhere before the sixth. Absolutely no chance in my mind, just because there's not really a position there. Sorry about that. Um, just because I don't know what position he's going to play in the NFL. Um, but I think he's a leader, and I think he's a hell of a football player. Um, and I think there's a room for rosters for that type of guy. But I wouldn't be wouldn't be uh, betting for his name to get called anything probably before the late fourth, maybe the fifth. All right, this is a really deep wide receiver draft. There's obviously some good ones out of the of the, the Big Twelve. Of course, Tylen Wallace, as we know, um, absolutely a lot nationwide. But I'm really curious about a guy at a Texas Tech, T.J. Vasher. What do you, what have you heard or know or think about him? Um, so I'm going to say everything that I've heard. Um, he's got all the potential in the world, man. He's long. He can go up and get the ball. Um, I've just heard a lot of the stuff, um, for him is off the field. Um, not necessarily that he's a bad guy. Um, just that he just needs to grow up in terms of preparation, in terms of what, everything that goes into it. Um, everyone fans alike, just kind of see what happens in the field. Um, or they kind of hear about what happens in practice from the recruiting insiders or the football insiders or whatever. Um, but I've heard it's everything else that no one hears about that goes into TJ Vasher. Um, that's going to lead for him to be a very late, possibly even undrafted guy. Um, now I've heard, and I do believe with my own eyes that he has dude had the potential. If he could put it all together, he'd be a top three round guy. Um, I've been hearing about TJ Vasher from NFL people and even from coaches there for two or three years. Like, Hey, next year's his year. He's going to be a guy next year. He's going to blow up. This is going to be his year. Um, and as you know, and as kind of the fans know, he never really blew up and never really had that year. Um, and so I think something real late, um, I think maybe someone takes a chance on him in the sixth, um, hopefully someone with a veteran wide receiver room where he can come in, not have to be that number one, number two, or even number three guy yet. Um, and kind of come in and really get comfortable and really learn how to be a pro's pro. Um, cause I've kind of heard, he's just got some, some off the field stuff that he's just got to, um, kind of some nuts and bolts that he's got to tighten up and then he'll be fine for the NFL. Um, but that's a lot of TJ's deal. All right. Last one. I'm, I'm, I'm going back and forth because we're going to do this again before the draft comes. Um, let's go with the guy on a, on a team that had a really good year. Let's go with Jaquan Bailey, uh, edge out of Iowa State. What are, you, uh, what are you hearing about him? What do we know about him? Yeah, man. So I was um, – I actually was trying to recruit him myself um, pretty early on in the process. Um He's, he's a stud, man. Um, he's absolutely a 4-3 DN is kind of where I would have him at. Um, so he's going to be he's a very scheme-dependent player, I think. Um, but I do think he has a lot of success in the NFL. Um, he's very, very strong. He's just got a nose for the ball. He's got a nose for the quarterback. 
Um, I think he's kind of a mid-round guy, too. I feel like I'm giving a lot of the same grades on these guys. Um, but I think Jaquan Bailey is somewhere four to four to six, but my guess would be a four to a five, anywhere from the start of the fourth to the end of the fifth. Could even sneak in the third if he's got a team that really, really likes him. Um, but I've, I've got some scouts who I really trust who are big fans of him, um, who are very, very big fans of him and have had a lot of success on the D-line. Um, so I say four to five. I think he goes probably end of the third, somewhere in the fourth. Um, he's a damn good football player, man. I really think he's a good football player and has a good career, and I think he's actually um, has better football ahead of him. Um, I don't think he really reached his potential um, in college football for whatever reason. Um, and I think he's got better football ahead of him in the NFL. All right. Luke McMurtry, man, always a pleasure to have you on. We're going to have to do this again before the draft, continue to talk about how things are going. Uh, for everybody who wants to check you out, uh, they can do so on Twitter, at Luke McMurtry, L-U-K-E-M-C-M-U-R-T-R-E-Y. Um, so if you want an idea of some of the guys he represents, you just pay attention to the things that he retweets. <laughs> Hey, I'm on Instagram, same name too, Luke McMurtry. Come give me a follow awesome. on either one. Luke, man, always appreciate it. Always a good time, and, uh, and we'll have you again soon, man. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. So for those who don't know, my social media black hole is Twitter. I spend way too much of my personal time on it. Um, but one of the fun things is that occasionally I will find an account that I've just like become – I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but really intrigued by and enjoy. And when I find them to be interactive or run by someone who enjoys talking with other people who like the same things that you do, it just makes it even more fun. It's really what social media is supposed to be all about. We're not going down that conversation. But I'm very excited to have a guy on the show today who is the owner of one of these Twitter accounts that I have found this season. Uh, Ryan Campbell of Fifth Factor Plots joining the show for the first time. Ryan, welcome to the 1012. Thanks for having me. I'm um, looking forward to talking some basketball. Uh, it's it's fun to put out a Twitter account. It's fun to interact with people who, you know, like you said, the the interactive folks, folks on social media who, um, you know, that's what it's there for. That's the good side of it where you kind of back and forth and, and learn about different teams and things. And um, it's really good to to make a good connection and and, and uh, talk basketball. Yeah. Um, okay, so backstory i found you i don't remember if i i don't know how i stumbled upon it but you had put out a tweet earlier this year that was uh, a really good data point that showed who takes good shots and who has good shooters and it has the full you know like like you would expect a good uh, a good chart to have you have all four versions of that and i was intrigued by what i saw from oklahoma state which was basically they had they took good shots but they couldn't shoot for shit uh, which i think was an appropriate uh, way to describe it now they've that's changed as the season's gone on. Uh, but I was using your information because I think it helped justify my belief that, that Coach Boynton uh, was doing a good job coaching. And it wasn't that, that, because typically if you see a team that takes good shots, that's an, that is, um, to me, that's a sign of good coaching. You know, uh, and, and not hitting shots is on the players. You know, which I am curious. I'll start off with that. Is that a fair evaluation of that data or do you disagree? Um, I think that's generally, I think that's, that's a fair assessment of the data. Um, I think good and bad. I mean, obviously different coaching styles are different. I, I don't think that any, any team that you look at on that chart that you're talking about, and you look at the bottom and say, they take bad shots, therefore they're a bad coach. I think the coach may not be thinking about things in like a very data positive, you know, very analytical way thinking about like, okay, if I'm taking, if I'm, if I'm having my players shoot a shot, that's a, you know, 18 footer, it's only worth two points. Is that really a good idea? Um, and so, I mean, and we were just before we got on, you talked, we were talking about Mac McClung 
Mac McClung take all the 18 footers he wants because he's going to make a lot of them. I mean, it's like, it, it obviously depends upon the, the person. And so I think um, to some extent it, it can be a, a good thing. Certain players can make those shots. It's not, a, not necessarily a whole hog, you know, a, a, you should never, never take that shot. But um, I think it's definitely true that good coaches can design an offense that gets you easier shots and, and are more productive. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a big difference between what's a good shot for Kevin Durant and, and what is a good shot for players that are not Kevin Durant. So obviously context matters there. So I realize it's a bit of a generalization. Um, let's, I, so I, I, I saw that tweet. I thought it was really interesting. I started interacting with you and, and you were, have always been fun and responsive and I appreciate it. So I'm, I'm really happy to have you on the show here. Um, before we dive in any further, cause we're going to talk a little Mac McClung, um, the player that should be one of the most hated people in college basketball, but because no one's paying attention enough is not um, kind of tell me how you got started running this, running this account, uh, this fifth factor plots. Um, so I think it started, you know, started, I mean, way back when I was an undergrad, I thought about, you know, looking at things in an analytics way and got into the like Ken Palm you know, uh, Dean Oliver kind of track of basketball, looking at, you know, possession, you know, efficiency stuff, looking at, you know, how efficient a team is, not necessarily how many points per game they score, that kind of stuff. Um, but the plotting really took off when I started grad school. Um, and I started, you know, learning skills in grad school, like coding languages like R, languages like R that are good at, you know, data analysis and, you know, plotting out, you know, nice, pretty pictures. And then I learned something in grad school. And then I'd say, hey, I think I can use that to like describe some basketball stuff that I'm seeing. And it's, it's kind of a hobby that I've had for, um, for a while. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, I guess that's probably started playing around with it five or six, seven, seven, I don't know. I'm feeling pretty old now, five, six, seven, eight years ago. Um, and then at some point decided that there was really a gap in looking across college basketball. There's this gap. Like, I don't think I, you see a lot of shop charts, you know, you look at NBA, that's what you see. Cause the NBA, you know, there's like, they have cameras on every court. That data is literally just, you know, on NBA.com. It's, it's pretty accessible. Um, but for college players, that data isn't accessible. It's not something that a lot of people see, a lot of people have access to. Um, and so working with Luke Benz and some of the folks at NCAA Hoop R, which is an R package that pulls data from ESPN and pulls data into a usable format, um, helped with the ability to kind of get shot data into a usable data format. Um, and then decided to kind of keep a database and start plotting it because it's something that, you know, I wasn't going to do a Ken Palm site because Ken Palm does that. I wasn't going to do a lot of the things that you see. I wasn't going to do a plus minus model because other people do that. But uh, I really liked looking at data visualizations and thought that was something that there wasn't a lot of floating around. Yeah. And look, I would tell everybody now, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. Um, go give it a follow. We'll, I'll say that again and over and over again. It's really neat. It's fun. It's a great visualiz visualization to me. I, I'm, a, I'm a visual person, so having really neat shot charts for to figure out where players are most efficient or teams are most efficient is really interesting, seeing the matchups of, of teams. Um, so I, I really enjoy it. Uh, let's dive in here. I've, I've kind of prepped a few players and things that I want to talk about. First off, let's just talk about Mac McClung. Because again, if this was a normal season where everyone was really paying attention to college basketball, Mac McClung is one of those players that's so good at times that you hate that he is on someone else's. It's one of those guys where you love him if he's on your team and everyone else hates him because he's going to hit shots down the stretch that beat your team that are just stupid. Um, what? And, and and understand this. 
he was a nice pickup for Texas Tech in the offseason. No one thought that he would be as good as he has been. Because understand, his minutes have gone up from where he's been the last two years when he was at Georgetown. Typically, when your minutes go up, your points might go up because the number of shots you take might go up. But you don't see vast increases in your shooting efficiency. He has increased in his field goal percentage, three-point field, three point percentage, free throw percentage. Um, it's and, and significant. We're talking multiple, like at least 2% at every shot. Um, so you sent, and I'm going to make some of these available for people who want to see them. If they want to hit us up, we'll, we'll we'll share some of these on the Twitter account, and, and we'll be happy Definitely. to Definitely. Feel free them. to. I think that's the worst thing about uh, plots are great on Twitter. Plots aren't great on podcasts. <laughs> no, they're not. But uh, um, you and I look at this one on Mac, so we'll, we'll do our best to describe it. But it's really interesting to see the visualization of like where he's good. And it's 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 wild to me. He really sucks right around the rim. For all as good a shooter as he is, pretty much everywhere inside the arc and and, and on the perimeter on the left and the right, not so much right right in front of the basket. But he's really bad right in under the basket. So I'm I'm curious looking at his stuff, like what is it about him that sticks out the most to you? I think the I mean, like I think you're right. The thing that jumps out there is I mean, guards are worse at the basket. That basket number, you know. So I what, the plots have a color, a green to red color scale, and green is above NCAA average, and red's below NCAA average. And so, one of the things that you know, when you look at a guard's plot and you see that okay, they're ten percent, they shoot ten percent less than average at the rim. Um, I mean, that's not great. Obviously, you'd better shoot the average; it's a higher number, but. I think it's important to remember that that average includes fast break layups. I mean, Mac McClung can obviously take a fast break layup. That average includes, you know, post dunks and all kinds of players. And so a guard is going to be a little lower. Um, I think he's definitely even lower. And that probably reflects like lack of finishing, lack of athleticism, stuff like that. Um, One thing I actually ran recently is um, some folks on Twitter also, you know, kind of kicking it with, you know, chatting with folks who are kind of curious about this stuff, looked at some funny patterns left to right. So like, why is a player good from the left elbow or bad from the right elbow and kind of some weird patterns like that. Um, And Mac McClung is really bad at right layups and he's really good at left layups. Like if you look at the, it doesn't necessarily have it on the, um, it all averages out in the same block because it's all, I count it all inside the rim at five feet. Um, But if you look, there's a lot of X's on the one side versus the other. And to me, that made me think that he was even left-handed. I don't think that's, I don't know. Is he left-handed? I don't think that's true. Um, yeah, I tried to look. I don't, and I don't know. <laughs> that's very, yeah. I, like I looked at some clips and I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not. Um, but to me, I was kind of curious. I was, I was making up that metric to see if I could identify left-handed players because you'd think that a left-handed player would be better at finishing with his left than his right. You'd be able to look at the data and say, is there a big discrepancy here? But um, the thing that really does stick out to me about Mac McClung in terms of, you know, positive attributes is he's really good at shooting the ball inside the arc. These shots that, like I was saying, if a team took what the shots that Mac McClung takes, I would say that's a bad idea because most 90%, 95% of college shooters aren't going to be able to hit from that regular, regularly from that range. But I think for many players across teams, Mac McClung, um, Sam Hauser at Virginia, Cade Cunningham with that free throw jumper that he loves to take, like they're good at making these shots. And so for him, like I wouldn't label him as a bad shot selector because he's taking the shots that are good for him. Um, and he's, you know, a, a real talent and be able to make those shots. And I think in some way, like if you look at the shots that he's good at and bad at, you know, top of the key, above, you know, above the break, the, the three pointers that aren't in the corners, 
those are shots he's probably taking because the offense is like, we don't have anything else to do. Take a shot with, as the clock's winding down, you're not free. They're not open. It's not part of the offense. Um, and so I think because he's a good shooter, he's relied on him, and it's probably going to look worse for him in parts of the plot than his natural ability would suggest. It is really interesting to have the conversation of there is of when we review guys shots of thinking about what's a good shot for one guy versus what's a good shot for another guy. You mentioned Kane. We've got some nice stuff here with him. You know, you, he loves, he's, he's decent from three. He's not great. Um, but where he, you just don't see him take a lot of shots outside of, of the lane. Like he loves to shoot straight down at the basket, basically from the basket all the way to the perimeter. Like he loves that shot. You don't see him take shots from either side of the basket all that much. And he shoots really well from there. Like he seems like a guy where he knows where he is efficient and that's where he focuses on. And yet somehow teams still just can't stop him. Do you, I mean, I think you watch a lot of, of uh, a Cowboys basketball. Is that, um, some symbolic or is that a signature of a play that they might run where he can pull up at any point in time as he approaches the basket or like, is there a reason he's choosing those like lane on kind of things? Anything that jumps out to you? I think, I do think they kind of want to let him go and they let him kind of cook, especially late <laughs> in games. You know, it's when they want him to take over, they, they let him take over. And that's, that seems to be what he does. I mean, I was at the Arkansas game and, and even when they were trying to double team him, you, he, he wasn't, he wasn't going all the way over to the side to shoot from either corner in. He he stayed more towards the the middle. Yeah. Um, I mean, and he's going to have height, right? He's going to have yes. the height advantage on whoever's probably checking him or a quickest advantage. So quickest advantage, those end up in the lane as layups. Height advantage, you're going to pull up from somewhere, pick where you're comfortable. That, you know, kind of the paint area, like you're saying. And I think it could be a just, a, just kind of a residue of the whole offense. Like you're saying, it's a well-designed offense in that, you know, they do end up on the top of that shot selection plot, right? They don't take a lot of mid-range shots as a team. And the, you know, the residual of that would be that he probably doesn't have the ball and isn't being asked to create somewhere on the baseline, looking in and taking these like off angle 18 or 15 footers. Um, One thing that I think I sent you a while ago was the looking at how Oklahoma State shoots with and without Cade, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we only have, so one of the negatives of excuse me, one of the negatives of the data set that I have is that it's relying on ESPN to chart the shots, right? So basically ESPN has to, I don't like watch tape and like click where shots are happening. I just let ESPN do that. And if it happens to be a game that's chartered, I take it into the database. So I do have um, seven Oklahoma State games, two of which happen without Cade and five of which happen with Cade. Um, And the biggest differences I can see is that that free throw jumper both in amount and quantity and quality goes down when he's not on the court, um, which is really fascinating because I mean, that makes sense. Like what we're just saying, he's good at taking that shot. So if he's on the court and he's playing, Oklahoma State's going to be better at making that shot. Um, but the other thing that's interesting is that it, I kind of almost expected to see maybe a worse overall pattern. Like sometimes if you take a really good player away, everyone else just like loses it or they can't put it together or they just play different, you know, like you would expect almost to see like chaos or something. Um, and it wasn't that case. It was literally like his shots were just not there, um, which I thought was really fascinating. So the guy that I've, I'm, I'm really starting to enjoy watching Elijah Harkless um, for Oklahoma, who's, who's really come on since he entered the starting lineup. 
Uh, you got a nice little chart for me for him. So kind of talk about you know, your evaluation of him at this point. Where where are you seeing him most efficient? And is this you know similar to to Cade? Is this a situation where he's doing a good job of focusing on what he's good at? Yeah, I mean, so looking at his shots, he definitely likes that free throw line area. That's an area where he excels. He's better. And, you know, like Cade, but unlike someone like Mac McClung, he does a good job when he gets to the rim. I think I have him down for like, what's that? seven for eight, six for seven, something like that at the rim. Um, and again, six games. So he's played, you know, more than six games this year. I think they've played something like probably 15. Um, and so it's only a subset, but six out of 15 is a pretty good sample to kind of draw some conclusions from. I think he's probably, you know, you know, taking shots he's comfortable with, taking shots around the free throw line that he can make and, and or getting to the rim. He's also, you know, contributing in more ways than just his shooting, which is definitely a limitation of the data that I have. Like what I see is shots. I don't even unfortunately see fouls um did shot charts that are you know I, I don't know if it's I don't know if everyone knows this but basically if you're fouled taking a shot it's not even a, a missed field goal it doesn't go down in a, in a box score those don't count as field goals they just get just kind of get, kind of get wiped um and so unfortunately I don't have foul data which would be really interesting to, for some of these players um what I do see for Harks is that the last two of the last three games the Kansas and the Alabama wins he's like shooting you know one and a half and two points above average uh, above the average shooter, I should say. Um, so one thing that I put out on um, sort of on a, on a daily basis, but every night I, I look and see what games are charted and I kind of glance over plots and I make these plots where I, I put out, you know, um, number of shots a player took on the x-axis and on the y-axis I say, okay, did you add value to versus average or subtract value versus average to your team? Um, and what this really highlights is, let's say a guy hit like seven for nine from three right? That's going to be above average, like on average, an NCAA player is only going to hit three of those. And so that would be like, you know, adding 12 points to your team because you're only expected to make three. Um, and so sometimes I'll plot a player like Elijah Harkless for someone over the season and see how it looks. And for his, you know, Kansas and the Bama games, for both of those games, he was adding adding value above average, which he wasn't doing earlier in the season. Or earlier in the season, he was taking like two shots. He wasn't taking as many shots as he is now because his minutes have gone up. Kansas, we're we'll talking a little Kansas for a second. Obviously, they're on a bit of a skid here lately. I know they've got uh, the win over TCU and the win over Kansas State, but otherwise, we're looking at what four losses in their last six games. So, I I, I was curious what you saw as far as Kansas earlier in the season, really playing really well, um, getting some nice wins to this slide. What have you seen as the biggest difference from a shot perspective uh, from Kansas when they were playing well to Kansas now? So, from their shots they're not there's not much of a difference at all <laughs> like kansas isn't actually missing it and they don't look that different um from from their own perspective they're you know they're hitting and making the same shots they were hitting and making before i think it's more it's been more of a defensive issue i think teams are hitting more threes against them than uh than they had been allowing before um actually do you need to plot that i haven't plotted that one out yet but looking at their first 11 games versus their last four that i have plotted they're really, you know, they, I mean, they've been bad at the rim this year. They miss, um, they miss that big force, you know, that, that they don't, they don't have, they don't have that, you know, solid post player that Bill Self likes to use, I think. Mm-hmm. And that shows, um, I think I shared something with uh, Jesse Newell maybe, or, um, or Luke Morris, a couple of guys that I interact with who are Kansas, Kansas guys. Um, and just the, the, the bright green middle of that Kansas shot plot from, from last season where you'd throw the ball inside and it was a sure, surefire bucket to this season where it's like just a mobby averagey meh is uh, is a pretty big difference for them. Um, and so, you know, 
that makes the team worse overall. And so small fluctuations in defense are going to end up, end up in losses. Um, and so I think teams are hitting threes. Looking at their overall numbers, I mean, the last, let's see here, three or four of the last games, they weren't offensively rebounding the ball that well. I think that they got back on track with that against Kansas State. But um, that was something that, you know, that can kind of mediate some, some you know, variance, some high variance shooting, some poor shooting outings, and they weren't doing that as well. All right, Ryan, I, I want to wrap up on this. I, we don't, there's obviously the guys we talk about all the time as far as the Big 12, but I was curious from you, looking at the data of the Big 12 players, who's a guy that maybe we don't talk enough about either because they are on a bad team or they're not the most important player on a team who from a shot standpoint, a shooting standpoint, is someone we should probably talk more about. Um, how do we feel about, I'm going to throw some, I'm going to throw some names at you. How do we feel about Courtney Ramey? Yeah. Yeah. Not the guy we talk about for Texas a lot, but a solid player, obviously. Yeah. So that's like, you know, Hey, he probably should be getting, he's hitting, he, he's the most efficient and the highest volume scorer from that spot on the floor for that, for on the, in the conference. Um, so that's like a, it's definitely like a, Hey, you know, don't talk about him a lot. Another thing I was talking earlier about the, the layup left, right. Um, Jalen Coleman lands comes up in the the corner three left right like he shoots from the left corner as you face the basket and not the right corner like he's over not over but like nearly from one and not the other which is you know i don't know if that makes you worth talking about but it's certainly fascinating to me i mean from a defensive standpoint if he's over there you should probably get on him exactly or even ignore him if he's in the other corner like oh no you can't make it from this side i mean i don't know what goes into that kind of thing and the numbers that i'm looking at hopefully take into account like sample size it shouldn't be just that Looking at this, and we'll share these. The lead, so you you put out the like leading Big Twelve score by zone, which I thought was really interesting. So Cade loves the free throw line. <laughs> That's we talked about already, but that that area, man, that is his. That is his space. Yeah, it's been interesting. I think, and then Mac and McClung's on here in the you know right elbow. As you're facing the basket, you know take a little little bit off the lane to the right in that in that long two zone that he is really good at. He should be scores the most points from there. Shocking, not surprisingly, because you know he makes a lot of the baskets he takes from there. Um, I think that's one of the things I like about this plot, as well as the the shots, good shooters, good shots, bad shooters, bad shots kind of thing, is mm-hmm. that um, it's fascinating to see what people, you know, read in that. A lot of times they see it and they go, yep, that checks out. Like, that's my team. You know, I know my team doesn't take good shots, or I know my team has good shooters, but should take better shots. Or, you know, I know that Cade Cunningham loves his free throw line jumper. So it's really, it's really great when you put a plot out and people are like, yep, that's exactly what I expected to see. Cause, you know, I don't I have time to watch, you know, all 10 teams of the Big 12, but um, it's always fascinating to see where those patterns kind of line up. I will say this, and I'll share again, we'll, we're going to share some of these. Um, seeing Solomon Young, uh, Javen Johnson, and Jalen Coleman lands all pop up in, efficiencies and, and being good shooters in certain areas on the court and knowing how bad Iowa state is this year. I'm not sure if that's nothing or if it just further speaks to problems with Steve prom that you've got three guys on your team that are efficient scores at various points on the court. And yet Iowa state still just, and I know part of it's defense, but still struggles as much as they do. Yeah, and no, I think that's, you know, you're putting a lot of names on that chart. And there are, there are whole teams in the efficiency chart that, that aren't even represented, pretty sure. Um, yeah. TCU, for instance. Um, I think they might be the only one not represented on that chart. But yeah, like you've got guys who can knock down shots and, you know, it's your job as, as a coach to, to, to get them into those spots. Um, 
and to kind of, you know, play to your strengths. Obviously this is not a defensive chart. So like you said, you can hit all the shots you want. And if you're, you know, you end up, well, I think everybody would, would love to end up as Iowa, for instance, but to pick a team, to pick on a team that is an offensive juggernaut and is defensively questionable. Um, I don't think Iowa State's sniffing Iowa at this point, but, um, <laughs> but you know, like they're not even doing the offense or it doesn't seem like they're doing the offense, right? Ryan, this stuff is awesome. I love it. Um, like I said, we're going to, we'll share some of this on ours. Um, I would suggest everybody do themselves a favor and go follow fifth factor plot. That's at five T H. So fifth underscore factor. Um, and just go, go look, see if you find your team. Uh, there's a lot of stuff for pretty much every big 12 team. He's got a nice little, uh, he has some stuff from the Baylor, Texas game, which Good grief. Like Texas actually had a pretty good night and Baylor still beat them soundly. Um, I, if you've got questions about your team or a player on your team and you just want to hit up Ryan, go give him a follow on Twitter. His DMs are open. I think your DMs are open. Yeah, your DMs are open. Uh, if you see something, you got a question, hit him up in, in the in the replies with a tweet. Because, man, I, I again, I have enjoyed following your stuff. I enjoy uh, the interaction. And I just, I just think this is all... Man, it's so visually interesting. Thanks. I really appreciate it. It's definitely, you know, it's a hobby. It's, you know, not something that, you know, I'm hanging my hat on or anything, but it's something that I, I really, you know, you get the most out of it when people, when you find out that people are enjoying it and you find out that it's, you know, enriching someone's experience watching their team or kind of learning about their team and getting into it. It's, um, it's definitely, you know, that's why I put it out there on Twitter for other people to enjoy. Yeah, no, this is great stuff. So everybody go follow Fifth Factor Plots. Uh, Say hey to Ryan. Ryan, I appreciate you joining the show tonight or today. Um, this is really good stuff, man. Sure. Thanks for the invite. Nice talking to you. Podcast Network.